our scripture text this morning is uh, the end of 2 Thessalonians. So we've been on a series going through 2 Thessalonians the past few weeks, and I get to close this out today. So I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, 2 Thessalonians is toward the end of the New Testament. You'll find it after the Gospels and the first letters. And if you, if you flip forward and you find yourself in letters like Timothy and James and Peter, you've gone too far, so flip a little back. Um, I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and leave them open as we study God's Word together. But before we read God's Word, let's pray. Father, may your Word be our rule, your Spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ Jesus our highest concern. In your name we pray, amen. Hear the word of the Lord from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive, they are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. What would you do if you thought it was the end of the world? It's an interesting question. Maybe it's one you've thought about at one point in another or in recent years. What with all the chaos going on, it seems like everywhere. Last week, a truck crashed just a little west of here on that open field over by JR Automation. It went off the south side of the road and it smashed into a telephone pole. Stephen and I were both home having a morning cup of tea for me, coffee for him. We heard this huge boom, and then the internet and the lights and everything, the power all flickered off. So I looked up from my computer, and Stephen, without missing a beat, goes, well, this is it. The coup has started. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, he was joking, mostly, right? I mean, I don't think any of us thinks that the end of all times, the zombie apocalypse, the coup to take over, is gonna start with taking out the power lines in New Holland Street. 
But we've gotten pretty used to using end-of-the-world type language in our daily living, haven't we? It seems like everything is unprecedented these days. We could talk about pandemics, rising sea levels, massive storms that wipe out homes and businesses and human lives. I don't really want to talk about politics, but I think I've heard people say since I was about 10 years old that one presidential candidate or another is the Antichrist. Let's think back to a couple weeks ago when we looked at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We read about how in the last days, the man of lawlessness will exalt himself over everything, verse 4, and about the people who will perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved, verse 10. Just take a second to think about the political party you distrust. And here's the crazy thing. It doesn't even matter which one you're thinking of. Think of the one that you distrust. Do you see the man of lawlessness? Do you see the people who refuse to see the truth that's right in front of them? We're poised to see apocalyptic signs all around us. And if you've wondered at some point in the last three years, if we're living in the last days before Christ comes again to judge us all, you're certainly not alone. So what would you do if you thought it was the end of the world? The letters to the Thessalonians were written to a community that had this same question. In fact, 1 Thessalonians was probably one of the first books in the New Testament to be written down. This is so early in the life of the Christian church that the gospel stories of Jesus were still being told orally. They were still being compiled into the gospels we have today in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the midst of this very early Christian community, Paul wrote his first letter to the Thessalonians. He wrote it to a community of faith, to people he loved and pastored, who believed the good news that he had told them, that Jesus Christ was born into this world, that he lived and died and rose again for them, that he had ascended to the Father in heaven, and that he would come again to make all things new. The Thessalonians believed that Jesus Christ was coming, and they believed it was going to happen soon. So 1 Thessalonians was written very early in Paul's ministry to this fledgling church. It's filled with instruction and encouragement. The tone is clearly one of love and care. In 1 Thessalonians 5, which is just a few pages back, if you want to flip back there, Paul closes 1 Thessalonians 5 by saying, starting in verse 12, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This is a beautiful, loving testament from a pastor to his friends, a call to keep on in their good work while they wait for the day of the Lord. 
Now, 2 Thessalonians treats many of the same themes as 1 Thessalonians. Our passage today looks like a riff off of the passage we just read from 1 Thessalonians. Here in 2 Thessalonians 2, we see we should work hard, live in peace, do good for each other. But do you notice the shift in tone? If 1 Thessalonians is a letter of friendship and encouragement, 2 Thessalonians is a letter by some sort of fed-up parent. Where 1 Thessalonians says in verse 14, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Our passage says, keep away from them in verse 6, and do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed in verse 14. Where 1 Thessalonians says, we ask you to acknowledge those who work hard among you, 2 Thessalonians says, we command you, and you yourselves know you ought to follow our example. Where 1 Thessalonians gives the encouragement, always strive to do what is good, 2 Thessalonians adds the troubling all-or-nothing statement, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Maybe you've heard that verse quoted before the one who won't work will not eat. It's been used by people across the generations to a variety of ends, some of them pretty troubling. John Smith, the English explorer and settler of the Jamestown colony, you may know him from the Disney movie Pocahontas, he used it to push the early settlers to do the hard work they needed to do, to learn farming skills in a new land. The Soviet leaders, Lenin and Stalin, both used it as a fundamental tenet of socialism. The idea being that in a collective society, as long as each person contributes, the society would provide for their needs. I've even heard the phrase used to say almost the opposite in an American context, that there should be no welfare or social support at all for those who can't work. So what's going on in these verses? Is Paul telling us to have a good Protestant work ethic? Is he justifying socialism? Is he saying we shouldn't have welfare? To answer these questions, let's return to the question we asked at the beginning, the question that was on the minds of the Thessalonian church. What would you do if you thought it was the end of the world? We know what Paul would do. He'd use the time he thought he had to share the gospel with as many people as he could. That's what he did when he went to Thessalonica to plant the church there. He'd just come from Philippi, where he planted another church. He wrote a letter to that church, too. That's the book of Philippians. He stayed in Thessalonica long enough to develop deep friendships with these people. He lived and worked among them, not only as a missionary, but also in his trade as a tent maker. Then, after a while, something or someone forced him to leave. If you have a little time this afternoon, I encourage you to flip back to 1 Thessalonians and read through it. It's a fascinating letter, and it's where Paul shares a lot of these details. So something forced Paul to leave Thessalonica, and he was distraught. But he moved on, and he kept preaching the gospel in other communities across the Mediterranean but he never forgot the Thessalonian church. He longed to go back and be with them, asked for news of them from others. He even sent Timothy to visit them and bring back a report. 
Timothy's report is what sparked Paul to write the first letter to the Thessalonians, and in it we hear largely good news. The Thessalonian church is thriving even in Paul's absence. Paul gives greetings and offers some clarifying guidance on questions they had about Christ's second coming. He hints at a problem with idleness in the community. That's what we just read in chapter 5, but mostly he focuses on gratitude and thanksgiving. Not so with 2 Thessalonians. Clearly, the problem that was hinted at in 1 Thessalonians has spiraled, and it's become a bigger mess, and it requires some more direct confrontation. Idle and disruptive people have risen up in the community. They're lazy, and they're causing all sorts of confusion and problems. But just who are these lazy people? If we're thinking in terms of socialism or welfare, we might think that these idle people are folks who are taking advantage of the system. Maybe they're receiving food stamps when they don't really need them, refusing to get a job, expecting society to care for all their needs. Maybe they're finding all the loopholes and tax breaks. Maybe they're the corporate executives who give themselves big bonuses and expect their employees to bear the workload without fair compensation. There's something to that. Clearly, the people in this passage were not living within the ideal social structure that Paul and his fellow missionaries had modeled, one where all people provide for their own needs and contribute to the needs of the community. But do you notice also the word pairing in our passage here? and in 1 Thessalonians as well. Verse 6 says, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. Verse 11, we hear, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. It's not just that these people are lazy, they're also loud. They're the type of people who like to point out problems in their community, but aren't interested in doing anything about them. Do you know people like that? These are the people who post long rants about the state of our country on social media, but they don't vote in regular elections. They're champions of the anonymous letter. They speak out on issues, but they don't take personal action. They're climate advocates who don't compost. They say things like, all lives matter, or black lives matter. It doesn't matter which one but they haven't listened to black people talking. They're more interested in anonymous hashtag battles than in relationships with actual people in their own community. They have a problem with something the church leadership did, but instead of talking to an elder, they gossip about it with all their friends. They might think that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but they don't have to worry about it because they've got Jesus. Do you know people like this? I confess, I was a little thrown off when I first read this passage because of the intensity of the language. I don't like Paul's command here. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. But man, when I think about social media or what I choose to watch on the news, that seems to me to be pretty good advice. We give a lot of airtime to complainers. 
Maybe if all those inflammatory statements didn't get so many likes and shares, some of those folks would settle down and earn the food they eat. Maybe we need the intensity of the message in 2 Thessalonians. Maybe we need the reminder to settle down. Now listen, as I stand up here and I look out at all of you, I've got to tell you, I feel a lot more First Thessalonians feelings than Second. There's a warning for us here, but mostly there's just gratitude and thanksgiving. Because from my vantage point here on this pulpit looking at you and where I sit in the pews and where I interact with you, I see a community gathered around Christ. Today is the last Sunday of the program year here at North Holland. In the RCA, it's also Women in Ministry Sunday. At the town hall meeting later this morning, we'll celebrate the good work that's been done here over the course of the year. We'll share a meal together and thank our Sunday School and Kids Quest teachers. We'll look ahead to a building renovation and recognize the generosity of all of us that makes that possible. And wow, from what I see, I'm just profoundly grateful. Because what I see here is a community of faith, a community that's gathered around one baptismal font, one table, one cross, because we know that Christ came into this world, that he lived and died for us, that he rose again, that he ascended to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and we believe that someday Christ will come again to make all things new. We pray that that day will be soon. What would we do if we thought that it was the end of the world? I can tell you what I hope. I hope our days would look a lot like today. I hope we would gather and worship together. I hope we'd teach Sunday school and join a Bible study and show up on a Saturday morning for a work day to take care of our landscaping. I hope we'd plant gardens, join the PTO, go to work, and see that our jobs, whether that's on the line at Gentex, staying home and raising children, working in social services or serving at a restaurant, no matter what our jobs are, they are one way that God has called us to invest in a community. Christ will come again, my friends. In the meantime, let's invest in our communities and let's share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the warning in it and the gratitude in it. We thank you that you have called us to be a part of your body. Please help us to settle down and earn the food that we eat. Help us not to be busy bodies, but to be busy. And God, I just thank you for this community of faith, which I see modeling that in so many ways. 
In your name we pray. Amen.